Hello everybody, Koss is here back with Focus Otaku as your host, and for the first episode of August, and the first one since June, which I do apologize for, we're going to be diving right into a bit of a lengthy discussion on a very popular game that's recently been released, and hopefully it's going to be a bit of a nice uh, podcast episode for you all to kind of sink your teeth into and kind of just have an overall enjoyment for it. Uh, I should also be forthcoming in saying that this podcast section uh, will be focusing on Fire Emblem Three Houses, and as such, there will be potentially major spoilers or just generally spoilers for characters and such that have progression in the game. Um, it's no secret that the game does feature a time jump, but uh, a lot of people don't know how these characters change or how they end up after the fact. So uh, that, that's just a big warning right now. So you might not want to listen to this podcast if you're wanting to save all the nice surprises and secrets for yourself. Um, and I'll be diving into a few of those right now uh, with this podcast. The other portion of this, though, is going to be talking about just the Nintendo Switch in general. Its performance this year has been very solid and it has had a phenomenal phenomenal july uh month at least for its release cycle i think this past july 2019 has been the most busiest it's been for the nintendo switch to be fully honest just a sip of some nice nice coffee always gotta have your coffee in the mornings ladies and gentlemen or tea whatever you really fancy to have um I mean, I really shouldn't talk badly on soda drinkers in the morning, but you could do better. That's all I'll say. Still, regardless, though, um, I just want to give a big shout-out to those of you who still support and have been viewing the podcast. I do apologize for a bit of a hiatus in July. Uh, my job uh, work has just been increasing, so that is a, a lot of my active energy time. And basically, when I get home, I'm just mentally drained and exhausted, so I usually just find myself just sitting down and playing a video game or uh, doing tabletop games. So there's that. And as always, any product mentioned in this podcast episode will have an Amazon affiliate link down in the description below. Those affiliate links go towards helping us make commission off the sales. It literally does not change the price or anything that you would normally do. It's just you're using my link to buy said item. So please do consider viewing that, and for those that would rather prefer a uh, direct donation link, I'll have my coffee down in the description below. So let's start this video off by just talking about Fire Emblem Three Houses, and my word, that game in its entirety. Um, for those that may have not ever played a Fire Emblem game, they are essentially tactics uh, JRPG games. Um, Tactics games usually uh, consist of you having an overhead view of your units, you know, maybe 10 or 12, depending on the game, and they, they move on a grid, uh, square grid-based uh, pattern across terrain tiles, and, you know, they'll have different classes, they'll have different weapons, they'll have different abilities and such, and Fire Emblem has always been unique in the series that it also features a permadeath uh, facet to it, meaning that when your character, of course, dies, they die for good, and that's just not your player character. That's all the expanded cast of characters. So if in the game you decide to potentially have a uh, cool side character that you really like die in the game and you're playing on classic mode, then they are gone for good, and that is something that a lot of individuals like me can't stomach. So we strive to overthink our strategic approaches and uh, try to keep everyone alive, which I'm very fortunate in saying that with my Fire Emblem playthrough, I have not had a single person die. Very close to it, but, oh, goodness, it's so stressing when those ha when those moments happen, but 
you know, it's how it goes. But Fire Emblem, though, recently, especially with Three Houses, has adapted more of a persona feel with how its game works in terms of its uh, outside-of-battle approach. Uh, a Fire Emblem Awakening would have had a uh, kind of closer example. Uh, you had some management that you could do outside of just regular missions at, like, your guys' base camps and such, but it wasn't as fully fleshed out as this game is. This feels like a bona fide, smaller persona game kind of added into the mix. The other premise of the game is that you can expand your relationship with units. Um, it's ranked on a uh, D through S uh, sort of scaling, so you can basically, or a C through uh, S sort of scaling. And uh, usually those benefits add a uh, better lore story, you get to know the units better, you get to understand what makes them tick as characters. And it also goes to unlock potentially new abilities or new items or new quest topics and such. So there's a lot of variation that can happen in this game, and it's a good amount of variation, I would argue. It's very good in that sense. And uh, in Awakening, though, they popularized marriage. Uh, a lot of your units could get married, they could have kids, and you could marry as your main character yourself, and you can have a kid that you could fight with and stuff. It was really fun and awesome. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses has toned that down significantly. Uh, your units will just basically rank up to just be better friends or closer friends, and only the main player character can get married. And I am happy to say this game does a very good job with its uh, LGBTQ audience and allowing more uh, same-sex marriages and stuff to happen. Uh, while the same-sex same options for males are very slim compared to the female options, it's still a nice touch to have in a video game, to be fully honest. Uh, Persona doesn't even do that, which is something that I feel needs to change very quickly with Persona. They need to have that option, uh, that, that romancing ability. So, uh, But yeah, uh, but that's basically a brief rundown of what Fire Emblem is. Um, if you played Final Fantasy Tactics, that would be the closest comparison I could offer you all to kind of look back on. Uh, tactics games are very niche, or I should say they used to be niche for a lot of people. There's some people that enjoy Fire Emblem for the characters, but not so much for the gameplay. So there's that audience that's out there, and they're perfectly valid as well. You don't have to like one facet of the game or the other. Um, but uh, I am going to be working on a proper written review for Fire Emblem. I will probably also have a vocalized version. I don't know if I'm going to try to do a video review of it again, uh, as that's something I've not done in a very long time, and or maybe just a podcast review so I can kind of just talk things out. Though the difficulty with podcasts is that, you know, there's no visual aids. It all has to be described and kind of thoughtfully uh, talked out uh, in a way that helps you, the listener, to understand, you know, what I mean by, you know, a character's, uh, you know, rank leveling up and what that means in the larger picture. I could show a video or a screenshot that kind of shows you what that might look like. But, you know, everyone knows podcasts are a little bit different in their format. So, but yeah, but that's a basic rundown of Fire Emblem Three Houses. Uh, again, all the other older Fire Emblem games pretty much all play the same. There is always improvements that go on from each game. Uh, though Three Houses continues the renaissance that uh, Fire Emblem Awakening had because uh, Intelligent Systems was literally probably going to close down uh, if Awakening did not perform to Nintendo's expectations. And that was a very scary thought to have as somebody who enjoyed the older Fire Emblem games myself. And it was nice to see that it was very well received to the point where it actually brought in tons of new fans. Um, and now here we are with the Nintendo Switch release, reinventing the soup again, and uh, again, bringing in a lot more people. 
I do apologize for the awkward bits. I, I am nursing some coffee because it is one of those mornings. Um, but yeah, so let's get into some nice details about Fire Emblem Three Houses. So my word, the story quality that this game has um, is, okay, first and foremost, the story of the game is very Fire Emblem-ish and just very tactics game-like. It's not necessarily going to be the most expansive narrative story that's ever been written. Trust me on that regard. Um, it plays into a lot of typical cliches. It plays into a lot of uh, nuanced themes that are often very much explored and beaten to death in other games. But it does so in a very creative and colorful sense that engages the player more. Um, and the story that's told in the game is not necessarily just narratively written there. It, it's a story that you experience as a player through the characters of the game. And that is something that, especially since Awakening, I feel they've really improved the formula um, with Awakening. Um, and that is character storytelling. There, there's a lot that you can learn about Fire Emblem's worlds now through the characters themselves. Uh, you learn about the history of various factions. You learn about why these characters have their motives. And that is something that plays into Fire Emblem's strength very nicely. And again, I can only recall another game series that does this to this level with its character development, and that is something of maybe the Knights of the Old Republic or Mass Effect series and Dragon Age in that uh, juncture, uh, junction sorry, uh, by Bioware. Um, those games do have a character depth of storytelling that is, you know, very, you know, not often seen in a larger spectrum of games. Uh, the game industry is getting better with that narrative storytelling, but I feel Fire Emblem just has that more personal touch. And the reason being is that in Dragon Age or games like Mass Effect, you know, barring the obvious ones that die in Mass Effect 3, there's never this dreaded sense that if your unit falls in battle, that, you know, they're going to die for good. And in a game like Fire Emblem, where there's a lot of trust that goes into uh, character development, um, especially in this game, as the take on the role of a professor that's teaching one of three houses, um, you know, there's this trust that starts building up with your students. A lot of them are, you know, very cautious or very uh, interested or curious about you. And as you develop and you deepen your bonds with those characters, they open up more and they start confiding in you more and they start seeing you more as not so much the professor, but just, you know, someone that they can relate to, that they can talk to. Um, and you have this interesting character dynamic that develops from them. And especially with the five-year time jump, uh, you, you see that investment mature. You see that character that you talked with, that you started getting to know. You see how their almost childlike view of the world uh, matured and you know how they saw now that the world is just a dark pit of despair and sadness type, type of deal. So you have that addition that's there. And there are some characters that are very much forward thinking in terms of their uh, mental maturity. There's a lot of characters uh, like Edelgard who are very uh, mature mentally to the point where they they don't really change too much. Um, it's more a facade that ends up dropping than an overall you know growth and realization. And there's some characters that just honestly mentally break down. Um, uh, Dimitri is a perfect case example of this where you have this sort of degradation of a mental state. And it's honestly, it's a, it's an exploration into the effects of PTSD. And I'm not a psychology major by any means. And I'm not a hundred percent certain how, you know, uh, things like PTSD really affect the mind, but 
you see a broken individual who lost family, who lost everything and is trying to keep everyone together, is trying to keep these, you know, specters happy. And, you know, he, he wants to feel like he's doing them a service type of thing. And while I can't speak for Claude on Golden Deer yet, as I have not had my chance to uh, dip into a Golden Deer playthrough, um, every character that I've interacted with so far has had just a beautiful narrative and a, a very beautiful story to tell. And I've ended up finding that I like a lot of characters that I had priorly, when I saw the old uh, teaser videos that came out for each of the houses, um, to me, there's a lot more character depth that's there. And I very much enjoy the fact that I've been wrong about a few characters. And there's even some that while their actions aren't excusable, they have developed and changed into characters that our understanding of that they they don't you know just use it as an excuse they realize that you know maybe the reason why they're this way is because of this you know they they understand it's a rotten view or it's a rotten personality perspective and you know you end up finding characters too that you can really sympathize with and i feel that even games again like i mentioned mass effect and dragon age as two newer examples that have some much better narrative depth uh, than their older entries they still vaguely struggle with trying to get you more involved with the characters. And that's not to say the Mass Effect or Dragon Age falls very short. Trust me, there is a lot of very intricate character development that goes into its characters. Solus is an example um, that a lot of probably uh, listeners can relate to um, in terms of his character growth. He He's a very complex character, and that has to do with the fact, too, that he's also a deity uh, who's been forced to kind of hide and parade around as a i wouldn't necessarily say mortal elf but you know uh, an elvish character and has to view the world through this lens um and you know through that lens he sees a deeper difference and a deeper understanding but there's this you know conflict that he had as a deity that's still there and still brewing in the world um and so you get that level of character depth but again it's that simple fact and facet that fire emblem introduces permadeath and the risk of death of those characters and that you will never be able to you know barring of course another playthrough or loading up an older save um you lose that uh depth you lose that ability to essentially have um you know, that fear of that if they die, you've lost them for good and you can't pursue that uh, tree route with them anymore. You know, you're left with questions wondering, you know, who that person really was or, you know, what what were they entirely? Oh, another good swig of coffee there. But so, yeah, like um, my experiences so far with characters that I've really grown to love and appreciate, um, uh, Bernadetta from uh, the... Uh, Black Eagle's house. Um, she's a character that, um, to me, I could inst instantly sort of relate to with the whole introverted sort of side thing. But um, she's introverted not because she hates social uh, engagements or she hates uh, those sort of uh, items. It's because of what her father did. It's because of what you know the world demanded of her as an individual. And this game. There's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of social discussion in this game uh, because in the world of the, in this world of Fire Emblem, um, 
crests have everything to do with whether or not a family is a nobility or if they're going to succeed in continuing being a nobility or if their house will prosper or fall into ruin. And uh, these crests basically are manifestations of uh, ancient powers that have been passed down from the goddess uh, Sothis. And she basically bequeath these powers and these crests basically can amplify strength. They can provide magic abilities or, you know, they have certain uh, lines that started with certain people that have originated in the past. And it's a very in-depth exploration of, you know, the social injustices and the social differences, you know, and there's characters. um, I'm forgetting right now who it was specifically that, um, she was born with a crest and, you know, and she was like the most recent born with a crest out of like two generations. And it might be Ingrid from blue lions. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but there's a character in fire emblem that talks about, you know, the fact that they have, you know, that they're the latest one to be born with a crest and that two generations of family members do not have crests. And for a nobility, that means very bad things because they're not seen as marriage candidates. Their house is not seen as something that can provide a child with a powerful crest. Um, and a lot of nobilities suffer that. And you end up learning that a lot of these characters are here because they're either trying to escape that or they're here at the behest of their parents in the sense that they can get proper training so that way when they return, they're able to better prepare themselves for leading a family house or uh, you know, or what have you. Or some are just gifted because they have a crest and a lot of them are very noble and they can't see that difference. And it's not till these time jumps happen that these characters find out that, you know, it doesn't matter much, you know, whether or not you're born with a crest or what have you. Some change, some don't, I would imagine. Um, I can't say with 100% certainty that that is always the case. But it's it's been a game that in of itself has touched upon really engaging topics and has really made me as a player think and has kept me just so enamoredly drawn into the world that it's hard to tear myself away from it. And, uh, and with the time jump too, in the game too, there are characters that do unfortunately die potentially. Um, there's one character called Dadu from the blue lion's house and he's part of a, uh, nationality known as Dusker. And, um, they were basically set up, from my understanding, uh, with regicide. They, uh, air quotations, assassinated the uh, sitting king of Fargus. And as such, their people were seen as regiciders and their entire culture and race was decimated. And the struggling few to survive have basically been alienated and seen as, you know, lesser people or lesser lesser than a person type of thing and this character is very much you know the one that says you know you shouldn't be around me because then people will start talking about you and you know you'll be looked down upon and it's up to you as the player to respond to that how you will but his character you know ends up growing more and he is unfortunately one of the characters that you know after the five-year time got time jump apparently dies and for me as a player that really hits me hard because he was a character that i very much enjoyed seeing grow and seeing the characters open up to him especially ones that were initially hostile to him because he was a man of dusker and you know one character specifically ingrid ends up telling him and one of the last support things i had with him 
was that, you know, it, it's not, you know, I, I, she was wrong in viewing him as, you know, this evil person when it was the deeds of those potentially in the past that don't reflect on him as an individual because he is not those people. He is to do. He is trying to just live his life as earnestly and honestly as he can. And if he has to represent the anguish and frustration of, you know, uh, people that, you know, are wanting to scapegoat, then he is fine with being seen as the person that everyone thinks he is type of thing. So, you know, there's this nice level of character development that is just so present, ever present in this game. That is just purely amazing. And the story work has gone into each and every one of the characters. I honestly have my hats off to the folks at Intelligence Systems for that scripting work. Uh, honestly, it, it's just above and beyond amazing what they've been able to do with every single character. And this game has a lot of characters. I mean, each house has, not counting their house leaders, has seven students. So if we factor in their house leaders, it's 24 students, not counting, again, also now support cast. So that would be three professors. Um, uh, and then you have Lady Rhea, who is the archbishop. And you have Flane, who is a, a, a person of interest to Sateth, Um uh, and so, I mean, right there, you already have about 30 plus people, and then you have some night figures that come in. So there's almost, I would say, probably 35 to 40 characters, potentially more, obviously. Oops, did not mean to just bash my microphone there, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that noise. But yeah, there's potentially 40 plus or more individuals that you can interact with in this game. And each of them have a story branch that you can explore. Each of them have history, a background, a reason for why they are where they are or why they're doing what they're doing. And it's just so intrinsic to see that growth. And even characters that are, you know, maybe only seen once in terms of just general um, storytelling devices. You know, there's, there's a scene where if you go the blue lines route and you're uh, fighting back at the uh, monastery, uh, that there's a general figure who has a sister who is, uh, you know, as part of his army, and he tells her, you know, you don't need to come type thing, this will be an easy fight, and that, you know, you need to be here in the vanguard in case they try to sneak around type thing. But, you know, he ends up getting killed uh, by you because Dimitri's trying to play with the man uh, who they captured. And it, it's, it's this echoing consequence that happens um, where even small characters end up having a story to tell, you know, they're, they're very much fleshed out and very alive. And I will have to also give credit to the English voice actors for helping with that. Uh, I haven't played the game in Japanese. Not that I'm against it. Uh, to me, the English dubbing work in this game is just so brilliant that it's hard to not appreciate the work that's gone into it by the English voice cast as well. And, Everyone, I believe, is giving their 100% effort. Uh, even characters that I wasn't too fond of at the beginning, like Ash, um, they're, they're very fleshed out characters. <laughs> and, you know, and Ash especially reminds me of myself sometimes, where I am very overly positive about things, and I am very optimistic about things. And it's to a fault. And, you know, there's, there's lessons that are learned in the story of this game. And, you know, there's calling backs to earlier events that happened when you first started the game by these characters. And, you know, they realize that, you know, uh, a perfect example is that with Ash's character, there's a scene where he's in a marketplace and a thief comes up and steals a book from a vendor and Ash pays the vendor for that stolen book, but then also goes after the bandit to try to talk sense into them or the thief, I should say. And 
Ash eventually, you know, find out that he didn't because, you know, he said he had a family in that book he was going to use to try to sell because it seemed like it could fetch some money. And Ash felt sympathy for that. And he did state, you know, and you as a character can tell him, you know, he might have been lying in which Ash says, you know, that is true. He could have been lying. And, you know, I just fell prey to a story. Uh, but in the five-year time, ja- time jump, um, there's another scene with Ash where he runs into the individual that did steal the book and finds out that he wasn't indeed lying. He did have a family that he was caring for, but they still looked rough off. And Ash realizes that, you know, yes, he, even though while he tried to do a good deed to change someone's life, you know, it's not necessarily always going to pan out, you know, that, you know, his actions aren't ever going to really amount to stuff. But it should never be a dissuasion from just continuing to try to improve somebody's life. And it's character work like that that I feel makes this game just so enjoyable on a storytelling platform. Now, you know, gameplay-wise, I, I, I want to leave some of that for the review when I actually write it, but it, it's still a very solid thing. And I would say why most people play Fire Emblem games is is that the gameplay is very fun, but it's the characters of these games that everyone falls in love with. It's it's their story arcs, it's their backgrounds, it's their personalities, their aspirations and inspirations that truly make them shine as personalities and ones that players can connect with. And again, dare I say that this Fire Emblem game has been one of the most influential and probably one of the most better off Fire Emblem games that have had a varied cast of characters that are very much alive and very present within the actual overarching gameplay story. So yes, that's pretty much what I sort of just wanted to kind of diatribe about with Fire Emblem Three Houses, and that is uh, just its characters. Uh, Edelgard is a character that I didn't really think that she was going to go the route she was going to go, especially that kind of twisty scene where she storms in into the uh, ceremony in the uh, crypt of the uh, of, uh, Gregor Mock Monastery. Um, and she reveals that, you know, she is indeed the flame member character. And I was like, ha ha, yeah, yeah, funny joke. And then it's like, no, I was like, oh, oh, oh. And, uh, and and it's interesting because that Black Eagles gameplay story actually has two different plot lines that you can go down and that's going to mean a very interesting playthrough for those that are doing Black Eagles, because that means you'll actually have to do two playthroughs of the Black Eagle house in order to get the full story, uh, as it's going to be offered from two points of view. And I feel it's going to be very fun in that sense, too. So should be pretty good. Should be epically awesome, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. So we'll find out. But it's just a game series that I personally love and enjoy and it's been great to see so many people picking it up and for those that have been on the fence about it too uh, please don't be on the fence about it it, it it's characters alone should be a purchasing reason it, it, it they really are that fleshed out and that and just that amazing as a character personality that it's hard for me to just not want to just sit here and just kind of ramble on about it but Hopefully that's what my review will be for. Uh, and I do hope you guys look forward to that. I'll have it up on my blog and hopefully maybe I will do a re- video review. I actually would have to capture some gameplay stuff for it. And I'm not the best when it comes to that, but it is something that I do want to try to improve and at least do a little bit better on in that regard. So uh, if that does happen, I'll let everybody know, of course, over on Twitter and whatever social media platforms uh, that are still being used by myself. So, yeah, but 
as far as that goes, though, for the Nintendo Switch, there's a lot that's been going on with the Nintendo Switch recently. Uh, they have announced two new console versions for the Nintendo Switch. One is an updated base model, which is uh, just regular Switch that's been out, uh, except with a better battery life. And then the very uh, in unique and interesting approach with the Switch Lite, which is... While Nintendo has said they're going to continue to support the 3DS, if the fact that Fire Emblem, Pokemon, and Animal Crossing aren't any indications of the move from the 3DS, then I don't know what else will signal the end of the 3DS besides the Switch Lite. Um, And the Switch Lite is basically just a handheld version only of the Nintendo Switch. Which I get, because I do have a lot of friends and colleagues that have literally probably only used the TV mode version once, and that's probably for games like Mario Party or 1-2-Switch, uh, but 100% of the time they're using it handheld to play all their games, and again, that's not a bad thing. Everyone has their own unique quirks and interests in regards to that, but I feel that um, Nintendo is a little bit foolish to keep you know, the 3DS line supported in the live. Uh, I mean, it is technically an easier console to get into because you can get them very cheap now and it has a massive catalog of games that you can easily dip your fingers into. And heck, right now, they're the only way to play uh, Fire Emblem Awakening, Fire Emblem uh, Fates, uh, Conquest, I think it was too. Um, and then also Radiant Dawn, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was on the uh, 3DS. And, you know, it's very... It's got a good library, but the Switch Lite is just going to improve that so much more because you actually do uh, have a lot more console-quality-driven games, and while the library isn't as big as the 3DS, it is going to get there, especially. So we'll hopefully have fun with that, but that should be fun. Um, Basically, what you're losing with the Switch Lite is the ability to detach the Joy-Cons that are essentially built into the frame. As such, though, you actually get a d-pad well which will be a boon for some that have complained about the you know lack of a proper d-pad since again the switch is aimed at being versatile so you do have that loss um still have a game card slot you still have a micro sd slot though you lose the kickstand and of course the ability to actually dock the switch odd enough though with the handheld version it still supports you using multiple joy cons and a pro controller which pro controller is great but if you can't kickstand it up or prop it up, there's really no sense in why it supports that. Uh, because if you are going to use it like that out and about and you want to use a pro controller, well, you're going to have to buy a case that has stands built into it so you could prop that case up. Um, at which point, I mean, that's probably like a $30 or so case. And when you factor in the pro controller, you're already pretty much buying a regular Nintendo Switch at that point. I don't know, but, you know, it really to each their own in that regard. Uh, I'm just somebody who is all more for, you know, more individuals buying a Switch and getting a Switch. Uh, on top of that, they announced uh, two new Joy-Con colors. Uh, one's like a purple-orange, I think like a brown, maybe, and a midnight blue. I wish they had just the midnight blue in both the left and right uh, Joy-Con, as, those are, as that is one of my favorite colors. And honestly speaking, that would be pretty grand. Um I would also love if Nintendo started adopting pastel colors, too. Um, I would love to have a pastel blue and pink Joy-Con just because of that pure aesthetic look. It's amazing, and I think it would make the Switch look a little bit more uh, friendly and inviting, I think, to some. 
But a lot of people were probably disappointed that it wasn't, uh, especially with the announcement of the uh, slightly upgraded base model switch, that it wasn't going to be a powerhouse change as, you know, most people wanted a pro version of the switch. And I get that. But at the same time, the switch is not about being a graphical powerhouse. It's not about, you know, playing, you know, the latest, coolest games from all these different companies. It's just about playing the games that you like on the go that supported on the switch and you know it's not like it's impossible to bring over games to the switch i mean we're getting the witcher 3 complete on the switch for goodness sake we're getting alien isolation on the switch um you know and and uh, sniper elite 3 is also coming to the switch um, i saw that on the nintendo eShop, but it's now since been removed from the eShop page so i don't know if that's supposed to be secretly announced later or not but you know we're getting like these ports of games that people would argue you know it can't run on the Switch. It can't run, but it's running on the Switch. I mean, Warframe in its entirety is on the Switch, and it's running brilliantly fine. Um, sure, most of these games are capped at 30 frames per second, or they aim at 30 frames per second. That's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of the YouTube videos you watch, they're 24 frames a second. So, you know, you kind of look at that argument, and you're kind of just sitting there thinking, like, I don't understand what the big deal is here. And again, the 60 frames, yes, that does make a lot more sense if you're more of an invested individual who's playing a first-person shooter competitively or playing a fighting game competitively. Uh, Games like that, yes, frame rate does matter in that sense. But if you are a casual player, getting Dragon Ball Fighter Z on the Switch is not going to be the worst, you know, definitive play style that you can have. Or, you know, playing Kill a Kill or any fighting game for that matter on the Switch isn't going to be bad. Now, of course, there are games such as Super Smash Bros. that do run at a 60 frame rate per second, and that game is in full 3D. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a head scratcher at the point where it's sort of like, then, you know, why are these other games having so much more issues, you know, in getting 60? And, you know, like any new console, there's going to be development tricks that are learned that will eventually get us there to where everything just maybe works at 60 frames per second. It's always hard to gauge that, but you know, it's a wishful thinking sort of thing. Um, probably also has to deal with like texture file size or just, you know, general packet style, uh, packet size uh, for, you know, assets and software. But I know I'm not a game developer, so I don't know 100%, you know, surely the reason why it's such an issue. Um, but beyond that, though, Beyond the console announcement, this month of July itself, we had three Switch exclusives launched, and that was Super Mario Maker 2, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and, of course, Fire Emblem 3 Houses. And while I'm sure there were probably a few months, uh, you know, over 2017-2018 that had multiple first-party launches, it's still impressive. And, you know, the ones that launched weren't really slouches of games at all. Super Mario Maker, yes, while niche, is a very popular game. Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, that's been absent for about a decade almost, and it's now a Switch exclusive. And then, of course, Fire Emblem has a very massive following in of itself, and that is a very fun launch. And and these are all great games, and it just doesn't stop there. There was a lot of good third-party release support this month, too. Uh, we had Wolfenstein Youngblood launching, we had Dragon Quest Builders 2 launching, we had Kill a Kill If launching. Um, you know, Kill a Kill If, probably not as popular because, you know, I know myself and a few other friends that are deeply crazy obsessed fans, but you know, might not be the most popular option, but you know, you had that launching. We had uh, red faction gorilla remastered launched on the switch. We had, um, 
a few other titles I know that came out that were uh, multi-platform uh, releases, but it, it's just the support in general that's just been this month of July has just been absolutely outstanding, and it's been great to see. We also had at the end of July uh, dropped out for us. I'm just pulling up my Switch thing right now to see uh, sort of what we had released uh, for our recent stuff. Um, so we had, of course, that. We had... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of indie games this month have been released for the Switch. Um, apparently lost connection to the eShop server. That's what I get for just sitting there uh, with it in my thing. But, um, you know, we had uh, the Hero from Dragon Quest series launch at the end of the month of July for Super Smash Bros. And, of course, we have Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age, releasing in Jan- uh, September, two- uh, September 27th. Uh, so that will be a release that people are looking for. We also had God Eater 3 come out this month for the Switch. So, I mean... There's a lot that's been going on, and it's been just absolutely uh, awesome to see the support that's been coming out for the Switch um, with third-party stuff. And games like Red Faction uh, Guerrilla Remastered actually offer two playstyle modes. You have a what they call quality mode, um, and then they have performance mode. And the performance mode will net you a 60 frame rate thing, but will slightly drop texture look. And then the quality will increase texture look, but dropping frame rate. And and it does. It does drop frame rate. But here's the thing about that game. It still looks good no matter which one you do. So to be fully honest, playing that game in performance is still going to look really good. It's going to look slightly better than the Xbox 360 and PS3 versions of the game. Um, you know, there's, there's still going to be some, uh, you know, items that aren't there. But, you know, it is what it is sort of thing. Um, and then a popular indie game, too, Graveyard Keeper, launched on Nintendo Switch. So there's a lot of stuff that's been coming out uh, for the Switch this month. And it's just been absolutely awesome to see this level of support that's been added. And my Switch library itself has just increased because of that. So, I mean, um, and we also had also, too, the big uh, Attack on Titan 2 release uh, for the switch and all other consoles so you do have this growing list of games that's just making the switch library more padded uh, more diverse and just better accessible to a, a larger group of individuals that are probably looking at the switch and trying to consider you know if it's worth buying if it's going to have the games that they want for it and while it's not going to have all the games for it you know there there's probably going to be a mission such as square enix final fantasy 7 remake they haven't been very vocal in what platforms that's going to be on uh besides probably the obvious ps4 and x Xbox uh, consoles. Um, and, you know, there's games that I would love to have on the Switch. Uh, I, I really would love some park builder games like Jurassic World Evolution, but I know that those are pipe dream wishes of mine. You know, we're not going to get those on the Switch probably because it, you know, those, those types of games need a lot more uh, background processing power. They need a lot more memory management power because there's a lot of assets they have to kind of keep, you know, in control of for that sense but there's still a lot of games that are coming out that are very surprising in that sense and the japanese releases are uh, probably just you know increasing as well we're getting fantasy star 2 online brought to the west and it's going to debut on um xbox uh first and it's going to be in full english and that in and of itself is again just awesome and fun to have um, we have a new Square Enix original game coming out. So again, there's just a lot of good stuff that's popping up. And the Switch, to me, is only getting stronger in its library buildup. And it, it's a very good time to get a Switch. And especially with Pokemon releasing at the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of new purchasers. Um, 
because with that official release for Pokemon, I would argue the 3DS is effectively dead, even if Nintendo doesn't want to admit it out in a public statement. Um, you know, that that is a primary reason why a lot of family members bought a Nintendo Switch. And the fact that the Switch Lite is launching at a $199 price point is very indicative of where Nintendo stands. I believe the new 3DS, when that came out, was at the $199 price point. And that wasn't a bad price point at all. And to be fair, again, while the Switch, you know, doesn't necessarily have a large library, uh, you know, for some, while they would argue that, it does have a big enough library that warrants having, um, you know, a person pick it up for just even Pokemon alone. And I can guarantee with that uh, special edition Switch Lite for Pokemon that's coming out, there's going to be a lot of uh, new uh, purchasers and uh, acquisitions to the Switch. So, yeah, so that's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. And hopefully you all have been enjoying your Switches, for those of you that own them. If there's been things that you wish would be improved or things that you wish would be added to it, um, I'm sure there's a lot of life-improving uh, stuff on there. Um, and I know for some, too, the Switch to them is still this weird console that doesn't really have a place. It, it kind of fills a substitute role in their library for the 3DS. And that's why a lot of my friends who are getting Switch Lights are sort of treating it. It's going to be their new handheld console since the 3DS for most is effectively dead. Um, and, you know, that's where it will be for some. And, you know, for the, I would say the minority of, you know, console owners, there's a very large percentage of people that now own a Switch. Um, you know, a lot probably won't make it their primary console like I have. It's the only console I have. It's my handheld and it's my home console. Uh, because I love that flexibility so much, and that's why I like the Switch for what it is. So, uh, but yeah, let me know what you guys thought of this episode. Hopefully, it uh, was good and uh, an enjoyment to listen to in the least. And hopefully, you guys have the same sentiments about Fire Emblem Three Houses that I have. And I would like uh, you all to look forward to that review when it comes out. I'm going to be doing my best to make it a very well thought out and well written review. Uh, I'm going to be starting work on it. Uh, as of this writing, I'm going to start working on at least the gameplay aspect since I can cover that. And then once I finally somewhat tackle a Golden Deer playthrough, I'll be able to add a bit of story input on that end. As I don't know if the game in any of the playthroughs will address the Golden Deer, uh, or the Leicester Alliance, I should say, technically speaking. Uh, outside of this, uh, you know, outside of the Blue Lions or uh, Black Eagles playthroughs, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that takes a turn. But, you know, with that being said, hopefully you guys all enjoyed this and I'll catch you all in the next one. Uh, be sure to hit those links down below if you want to give the channel some support. As always, this has been Casas. Peace. <laughs>